This is Beyond Busy, the show where we talk productivity, work-life balance, and how people define happiness and success. All the big questions for work and life. My name's Graham Alcott. I'm your host for the show. And on this episode, I'm talking to the wonderful Eleanor Tweddle. She talks very passionately about her experience of redundancy and how that led her to become the founder of Another Door, helping other people in similar situations. And she's just written a book called Why Losing Your Job Could Be the Best Thing That Ever Happened to You. So we talk about her emotional journey through being made redundant and having um, so a string of successful roles in communications in in various big companies and then finding herself on the, the end of redundancy. And uh, we talk about uh, all kinds of redundancy coping mechanisms and things that if you're going through that right now, which I know a lot of people are, or if you're worried that that might be you in the future, I think will really help. And regardless of what you're working on and, um, you know, where you sit with that right now, I think any of those big crisis moments, you know, COVID proves this, but also redundancy is another one of those. Any of those big crisis moments really help us to establish what's most important in work and life. So I think regardless of your situation, there's loads to take in here and uh, a lot of wisdom and really interesting perspectives to take from Eleanor. So I think you're going to really enjoy this episode. Uh, before we get into it, I just want to say very quickly that we are continuing our campaign of free webinars. Um, and if you have been joining us on some of the free webinars that we've been doing through Think Productive, then uh, thank you. It's been really lovely to have such a big turnout for each of the webinars that we've been doing. And we've got some coming up in December, which I'd love to just very quickly tell you about. So I'm launching a book with Colette Hennigan. It's called How to Have the Energy nutrition to boost your brain. And basically the idea is, um, Colette really helped me. She was actually on the podcast talking about this a, a year or so ago. And, um, she helped me to really transform my own diet to just have really strong levels of energy. I stopped having that kind of 4 PM slump in the afternoon. Um, so really powerful stuff. And we wrote a book together about it and we are basically re-releasing that book, um, under a new name. So it's now going to be called how to have the energy and we are doing some free webinars to tell you more. Um, we're going to tell you about the book and just give you tips and tricks to help you eat to have the best possible energy for work. And also um, there'll be time for Q&A. So if you've got questions about nutrition, about diet, about what to eat, uh, what kind of things should be in your diet or not, um, and debunking some of the, the kind of uh, bad science that's out there around nutrition, then Colette can help. She just is just a voracious reader on this stuff and um, will definitely uh, really help you with answering those questions. So the dates are the 7th of December, the 11th of December and the 16th of December. They're all kind of early afternoon UK time. So also uh, pretty good times if you're listening in the US and uh, and also obviously in Central Europe and elsewhere too. Um, so if you want to sign up, then if you just go to the Think Productive website, thinkproductive.co.uk, just click on the free webinars thing at the top and then you'll see those dates there and that will sign you up to uh, those free webinars. And uh, we'll also put the link in the show notes where you'll find details of all our previous episodes and everything that we talk about in this episode with Eleanor. That's all at getbeyondbusy.com. So go to getbeyondbusy.com and you can get the link straight from there to go in and sign up for those free webinars. Hope to see you there. So let's get into this episode. Really interesting conversation all about redundancy, all about how when one door closes, another door opens. Um, so the founder of Another Door, here is my conversation with Eleanor Tweddle. So I got my tea because you arrived early on the podcast stream, Eleanor. Um, so let's just start with... Um, tea in hand welcome to beyond busy Eleanor Tweddle how are you doing thank you very much well you have to get there early these days because you never know about tech do you you know is it gonna <laughs> work so uh yeah I was early yeah I was doing a zoom webinar this morning uh for a new client and um it was the first time using these particular slides and particular polls and all that and um I've I've worked out that the best way to make it okay in my head is to just have someone else on there who's on your side. So basically one of the HQ staff from Think Productive just sat in on it. And then it's like, can you just have the cut and paste ready for the, this link that we've got to send out and, you know, do the poll if it screws up or whatever. And just having that other person, like even if you don't really use them, 
it's just uh i don't know ninja preparedness i guess <laughs> it's your it's your uh sort of sidekick who's ready to step in when you need them yeah that's i think life's good. better when you've got a trusty sidekick right yeah definitely but, i like that so let's talk about um another door so um we'll get on to the fact that you've written a book all about this in a minute but um you set up a, you set up another door a couple of years ago which is all about supporting people who have been made redundant and i kind of felt like with what as what else is happening in the world right now we may well be in a period where a lot of people um, are going to be made redundant. Um, so even if it's not you right now, it could be in the future. Um, so let's just um, start with that. So this comes from a, a personal story of yourself. But firstly, just tell us about Another Door and what it is that you do. Yeah, so Another Door was, um, it actually was a blog a couple of years ago. And um, I was made redundant, kind of wondered what to do next. And part of that wondering and exploring was let's do something I've never done before, which is blog. I I didn't even have a clue how to set up a blog, never mind write it and put it out to the world. But I thought, why not? And I just started writing about how I was feeling about being out of work, but also not quite knowing what to do next. And I loved it. I just found it kind of like almost part of helping me move on yeah so that's when it sort of started and another door obviously comes from the good old quote when one door closes and somebody had actually said that to me as we were all getting made redundant in the office at the time somebody said oh well you know when one door closes another door opens and it really irritated me I was going to say, I bet that, that's kind of not the message you want on the, like you want people to be saying, you know, to, to be sympathizing with you and saying, you know, not acknowledging your pain in that moment, just being like, oh, well, that's fine. So it reminds me of um, that scene. In, do you watch The Office? I the love original The Office. Office yeah. The yeah. And there's that scene where there's some talk of redundancies and then they, they cut to big Keith, who's such a character. And, and the, the, I think it was a woman says to him like, what, you'd just, you'd just leave? And he's just like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like all the others are having this massive drama and he's like, I just don't care. <laughs> I, I think um, Big Keith's helping people on LinkedIn at the moment, isn't he? You can, I think someone paid him to help, uh, to read their CV and they posted it on LinkedIn. It is amazing. You've got to search for that. It's brilliant. <laughs> I'd love to have um, Big Keith to run the appraisals in Think Productive. That'd yes. be amazing. Yeah. Always the That'd same. Always the same. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you are a fan. There you go. So, um, so, so obviously you're in the office, someone sending you this, uh, slightly annoying, nauseating quote of, um, one door closes, another door opens. Um, did you know at that moment that that's going to be your company or how, how, what was the time period before that became the apparent name that it became? No, that, was sort of day two of finding out you're about to lose your job so I was still in the very irritated sort of step shall we say (laughs) the shock step of you know not in the mood for these cliches and in fact cliches was one of the blogs that I wrote about a couple of days later when I kind of got got my head around blogging and writing notes and things because that's all you're surrounded by for the first kind of I don't know, a couple of weeks even, it's cliches when you tell people it's, oh, well, you know, there'll be something around the corner or, you know, oh, these things happen. And, oh, I don't know. It's just a stream of of cliches. So I, I sort of wrote about it. I was basically writing about everything that was irritating me or coming into my head thinking, why is this such a thing? Why Why am I not dealing with this very well? And eventually I thought, right, I've got to put this to one side and turn this into a good feeling. Stop kind of getting stuck in this kind of perpetuating sort of, you know, mood, mood hoover. So I thought another door. I like that. Let's explore it. And when I looked into the quote and what it was about, and it was actually about, you know, you're so much looking at that door that's closed that, you don't actually see that there's another one open or even that there's opportunity behind you because you're just still looking at this door that's closed. 
it really resonated. And I thought, oh, this could be a gift that I never even knew I wanted. And that's when it sort of started changing. So it wasn't so much a business at that point. It was still more an idea of community, an idea of exploring opportunity in amongst this feeling of loss. Yeah. Um, and it still is that to a degree. Um, I, I started different businesses, not another door um, in my first year of of being made redundant. So another door is still sort of growing with me and I'm still sort of discovering what that's about. And you've also made it into a club for people who've been made redundant, right? Which is kind of like a weird, it's kind of a weird idea. Like, is that a club that people would want to join? But yeah, tell us about that. Exactly. I mean, who wants to join that club? <laughs> you don't start the year going, I'll tell you what I really want on my goals. I want to join another door. Um, it is, it's a club. I mean, it's a program really. So it's a five week program, um, that takes people through the stages of redundancy and it's like an outplacement program. Um, outplacement being the sort of support some people get when they get made redundant from organizations. But I felt hugely frustrated with what I was being offered at the time and actually what, how other people were being treated as well. So I kind of thought, is there something here? There's something missing. I don't want a CV workshop. I don't want to just be put through an interview prep process. Mm. I want to explore how I'm feeling and give, give me time to think about this. So that's where my writing really started to sort of evolve into well, how, what am I going through? And I guess it's a grief curve to a degree. You're losing something, but exploring it and. So yeah, the, the club is these steps. It's the five steps in the book. It's the five steps in the program, but the club just grows and grows. So I, I've got a career coach that I work with and she's amazing. She helps people with their confidence, with all the stuff they think they need, CV and interview skills, LinkedIn, all that good stuff. But really it's more about providing you time to think about yourself and what you want, which sounds hugely indulgent, but it's so important mm. to make sure that you feel like you're in control and you're taking decisions that you want to take, not that it's being done to you. And you talk, there's a bit of writing that you um, did about your own being made redundant. And you talk about the emotions of guilt, pain and embarrassment. And I feel like there's like, you know, when you talk about cliches before, it feels like there are the times where you get cliches thrown at you in your lives are those really dark moments where people don't know what else to say. So it's like you're being made redundant or somebody close to you died or a breakup or whatever, you know, like, or serious illness. Like those tend to be the times where people resort to cliches. But what did you, how did you sort of process those emotions and what did you learn through that? sort of sense of the guilt and pain and embarrassment of, of redundancy. Yeah, such a good point. Um, I actually use a quote from Russell Brand in the book, which says he once said in an interview, cliche saves us from thinking. And mm, I think that's why it comes out. Yeah. People feel incredibly awkward about what you've just told them. And you're right. It could be loss or pain or somebody's sharing something. You come out with a cliche because you desperately want to help them, but it, you know, you know, you can't, so you give them a cliche gift. So yeah, I think you're right. And, um, guilt and shame and embarrassment, it's all this kind of slushy, it's this slushy feeling that's kind of, it's in, it's within you that you're not sure what to do with. Um, because in, I guess what, what's going through your mind is how, how do I solve this problem? I've got a problem. I've made a problem. How do I solve it? But internally your internal chatter is still very much analyzing what's happened and it's trying yeah. to say, well, was it you? Did you do something wrong? Um, you know, have, uh, are you actually been found out? Have you, um, could you do that job anyway? How are you ever going to get the confidence to go back out and, and tell everybody about yourself again and, and sell yourself and all that inner chatter mixed up with this guilt of, I think for me personally, the guilt was more about, well, how am my family feeling? Like, have I put extra pressure on them now because right. I don't have an income coming in? 
Um, and it was Christmas. When I got made redundant, it was a couple of days <laughs> before Christmas. Wow. Good timing. Eh? Oh, amazing timing. Um, so, you know, you're spending Christmas in a worry state, but mm. trying to smile and all of that kind of feeling of guilt and, you know, I'm going to have to do something about this. I'm going to have to find a solution. And it sloshes around. So I think how I describe it in the book is around, yeah, it's the, it's the grief curve. It's that great, you know, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross grief curve, but it actually is more like a bowl of spaghetti because you continuously mm. go around these loops yeah. of feeling okay. The next day you feel you've got this. The next hour you think, oh my goodness, I'm in panic. How am I going to solve this? And it just kind of keeps going. And that's the bit that I realize you've got to work on. So not necessarily you've got to work on the doing, which is, you know, find a job, press the application button, send in as many CVs as possible. That's doing. But actually being, just sitting with being and getting yourself calm about the situation and trying to smooth out that sort of emotional curve. I think that's the important bit. So yeah, emotions are huge and emotions can hold us back and they can propel us forward. So if we can get hold of them and really own it and really feel like we understand what's going on, we've got more of a chance of owning what happens next. Yeah. I, one of my favorite Chinese proverbs, which I, I, uh, give to people a lot in these sort of situations is, um, in order to discover new oceans, you first need the courage to lose sight of the shore. Nice. And I really feel like there's something, there's really something really big in there about the emotions can hold you back and propel you forward. And, you know, ultimately it's like if you're in the middle of the sea and you look around and you can't see anything, then either you can choose to feel really anxious about the shoreline you've left behind, or you can start visioning where you'd like to go and, you know, work from there. And it's like, I suppose there's, different people would have different reactions to that based on how much of their current identity is wrapped up in the job, like how confident they are. Like there'd be all, all range of different things. Like, so when you got made redundant, you were part of a, a team and there was multiple redundancies at the same time. So did you notice any similarities or differences in the way that different people were, you know, essentially approaching the same thing? Absolutely. And I think that's what made me start writing about this because I noticed, I started noticing things that maybe I'd not really noticed before, how we all deal with things very differently and how we have very different um, perspectives on what's going on as well. So um, some people were really good at just kind of getting on with focus and knew what they wanted and, you know, made the moves, made the connections, got networking and moved really quickly into another job. And it's kind of job done. Mm. And again, in the book and in some of the blogs that I've explored, I then, and a few of us went through this feeling of envy and, and we were like, and it makes you feel even worse because you're like, oh my goodness, they've just gone and nailed it. They've just moved on to another great job. They've now, you know, they've now pocketed the cash. They've not had to go into their <laughs> redundancy package. Right, they've just yeah, sailed yeah. into this job what am I doing wrong? And it's just another setback. So you have all of these moments in time in this journey. It's not just one thing that's thrown at you. It's not just losing your job. You suddenly start going through all of these things that you can then choose whether it's going to help you or whether it's going to hold you back. So you see people that you've also been made redundant with moving on and it makes you feel worse, but does it, you know, it could also inspire you. You could you could work on yourself so you get inspired by it and think, well, if they can do that, well, so can I. Mm. Um, and they, those are the choices that you're making the whole way through this. And I found myself, you know, triggered by all sorts of things. You know, you see somebody on a, on a webinar saying how much money they just earned this month and, hey, I'm brilliant. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And meanwhile, you're scrabbling around trying to pay your bill or wondering how you're going to, you know, your credit card gets declined in a supermarket. You're, you're in that space and they're busily telling you how amazing they are. You can decide whether that's going to inspire you to do something and be like them or aspire to be in that same space. Or you can feel really not great that day and it can make you feel like you just want to go back to bed and, and cry. I, I do also think there's something about, I think lockdown was a similar 
experience. You know, those people who just get made redundant and then they, they frantically job hunt very quickly and walk into a job that's quite similar. Maybe it's a sidestep, maybe it's even a promotion, but then life goes on. Right. And in a way, I feel like the people who take a bit more time and the people who reassess things, they actually get more of an opportunity to figure out what it is they want in their life. And I kind of feel like lockdown was a similar thing where everyone's so busy all the time that busyness is very good at distracting you from thinking about who you are and thinking about your own mortality and your purpose and like all those things that are really important. Right. So do you think there's actually a benefit to uh, taking a bit more time to really understand where those emotions of, you know, envy or fear are coming from? Yeah, completely. And I think you're right. We, we all had that chance, didn't we? In a way, uh, even, I mean, I was working from home for a cons in my consultancy space for the first month of lockdown, but you still have that moment to reflect on what am I doing? Mm. Is that, is this right? What am I actually doing? And how many times have you asked yourself that question? What am I doing this and why is this right? Is this actually what I'm wanting to do? And I think um, we all have moments like that, even if we're in work. I think we've all sat at the desk thinking, what am I actually doing here? This is just like, yeah, this is yeah, awful. What yeah. am I doing? But do we act on it? Probably not, because as you say, we just get into the next to-do list. We get into the next meeting, next PowerPoint slide pack that's needed and just carry on. So I think redundancy is that moment of here's your space, do what you want with it. And sometimes people challenge me a little bit when I talk about having that space to think, because they say, well, some people don't have that luxury. Mm. You know, um, I don't feel like thinking about what you want to do next is a luxury. I think anybody can do that. Um, it's just how you do it. So you can get up the next day and whatever situation you're in, if you've lost your job, you're going to have to choose what you do that day and how you're going to find a solution to earning money, making a life, making a career, whatever you need to fill that space with. And so you can do it through working on yourself. You can do it through thinking about yourself more and what your strengths are and rethinking about your hidden talents and all of that amazing stuff. Or you can just plow on and you can keep going. Well, as you said, you know, I'm this job title. I've always done that. That's all I am. This is all I can do. That's all I'm going to look for. So there's choices. And I don't think it is a luxury item. I don't think it is about having the money to do it. I think it's about having the time to do it. And if you've lost your job, you've got the time to do it. So yeah, it's none of this is easy, but it's possible. Yeah. And a, a lot of the money stuff, you know, there, there's so, I think skint is such a long spectrum yeah. Right. And it's all to do with the stories that we tell ourselves about money. So, you know, some, for some people it's like zero in your bank is skint. And for some people it's like loads of overdraft is skint. And then you can actually go quite far down an extreme where it's like, I don't mind having a bit of debt. I can spend three months building up some debt that I know I'll pay off because I'm going to be in a better place. You know, I think there's, um, there are definitely some people who are, um, you know, living absolutely week to week, hand to mouth, obviously. But I do think there's a lot of people who feel like that's where they're at, but there are actually more options. And, you know, there's a lot of people who are, who are kind of luckier than they realise if you really start to renegotiate mortgage payments or uh, ask some someone else for a loan or just deliberately rack up a credit card for a bit. Like there, there are options if you are really serious about going through that process, I guess. Oh, completely. And I actually think I, I read and I cannot remember where this research come from, but I read early on in my sort of researching for the book and things, this thing about actually money can hold you in place. It's not an enabler. So sometimes if you've had, for example, a big payout of redundancy, you can just be quite happy, you know, mooching away and oh, I'll think about what to do tomorrow and tomorrow never comes. Whereas those that, um, didn't get a payout or haven't had the time, they haven't got that space. They've got to find work next. They've got to bring in money, actually start getting more creative and they start 
thinking of ways, well, what can I do to actually bring something in? Um, you know, I spoke to someone a couple of weeks ago and, and um, he was saying that he's been doing a bit of gardening around the local community because he saw that people, you know, were probably that, that need was, you know, there. And he just said he loves it. And possibly that could be a new business. Don't know. But he just needed a bit of money coming in. Yeah. Um, so offering to mow someone's lawn and tidy up, you know, that they, they couldn't have been happier, the people that, that were um, paying him. And he was bringing in a bit of money. He needed to think differently. But he said he would have never thought of that. Um, and suddenly, you know, he's now thinking, he was chatting to me because he was now thinking, well, how do I make this business? I'm not quite sure. So we were exploring that. But, um, you know, he's now thinking, wow, if I could do this and, you know, train to be a landscape gardener, wow, this could be incredible. So I think sometimes money actually, you're right, the money mindset, you've got to really challenge because it could actually be holding you in a place of non-discovery and you're closing down your options because you think you've got time, you've got tomorrow might come. Whereas if you don't have money, you've, you've not got much choice. You've got to make things work. You don't have a choice. Absolutely. Um, if you could send that um, guy around to do my garden, that'd be amazing. As exactly. Well. I was at, yeah, he doesn't <laughs> live anywhere near me, which is incredibly annoying because I would have booked him <laughs> as well. <laughs> um, so the book is called, I love the title, Why Losing Your Job Could Be the Best Thing That Ever Happened to You. Um, so I, I love the title. So you'd obviously written a lot of blog posts already and you, you know, you've been kind of working in this area. Um, so what was the, what was the transition to taking that work and turning it into a book? Well, <laughs> it was because I found myself out of work again. <laughs> <laughs> so I got made redundant and started kind of, you know, writing and then I got contract work and grew my comms consultancy and it was great. Um, but my other layer to my life is uh, we're a mil military family, so we move every two years. Oh, wow. So, um, so we got our next place to move. And I completely underestimated how much that would stall my business. So we moved, and I just didn't know where to reconnect into this new you know, local network to keep going on my comms consultancy. And then it started just... Um, making me feel, doubt myself again and going back into that space. And I had to dig out all my notes and like, Oh my goodness, why am I feeling like this again? And so whilst I was looking for contracts and freelance work and project work for my, for my consultancy, I started the writing again. And eventually I thought I'm going to make this into a book because this is helping me get through. It must be, you know, maybe it could help others. So at a time when I can't say a lot of money was coming in, I paid to go and do some work with a book coach and I just threw it all in and thought, right, I'm going to make a book. I'm going to write this book and be serious and kind of see what happens. I've got nothing, again, I've got nothing to lose. Um, apart from obviously money, <laughs> but that's the thing that propels you forward. You know, you've yeah. got to, I've got to make this work. I have to make this mm. work. So that's how it sort of happened. It was the second time round that I found myself out of work and it just helped me at those 3am worry moments. You know, you wake up and you're sweating and you're thinking, oh my goodness. And at that point, by that point, I'd set up a business and the cash flow was going down and I just couldn't find momentum to get work. You know, it was almost like the more I tried, <laughs> the worse it got. Yeah. Um, so 3am, I found myself writing about it again and, and actually going back through the notes about redundancy and what happens. And that was it. Um, I felt like it was a book and it was flowing and it made me feel better. And I reminded myself of how much control I've got, how much, you know, you can work on your confidence, how much you can control your worry thoughts. You know, it's all your thoughts that you're generating. So it was helping me through that moment in time. And then eventually the coach that I was working with just said, right, why don't we just go for this? Why don't we just pitch? Why don't we just see how far we can take this? And again, nothing to lose. Why not? And you were telling me before, before we hit record, that you actually had multiple offers for the book. Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing, I guess. I, I had a book agent. You know, she was my coach. And then now she's my agent. 
So I didn't actually go through the pain of, of knowing all the rejections and knowing all of that stuff. She, uh, <laughs> it was one of those moments that, you know, people talk about the rejection and you do get a lot of rejections. Yeah. Um, but yeah, eventually it was a very weird though. It's a very weird thing that I described because I was at a very low point at the beginning of that year. I wasn't feeling great about myself at all. Um, but I wrote this really clear vision about this book and I was like, right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it really well. And on, and I wrote a date on this date, I'm going to get a book deal and then I'm going to make it into a business. And I sort of wrote this thing about my vision for it. And it just about came true. It was like a week later after I wrote the date in this notebook that she came back, Jessica came back and said, yeah, we've got a deal from Penguin. Nice. So it didn't actually feel that much of a surprise. I was like, yeah, I knew you'd get me a deal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Um, what's the most interesting thing you've learned about um, the world of publishing and books um, just through the, through the project of doing it? Yeah. Um, gosh, you learn every single day, don't you? I mean, you're an, ama- you're an amazing author and you've been doing this. We, we were chatting before about... You're a pro in this. I'm still learning and finding my way around. Um, it definitely opens doors, <laughs> the irony, um, but you know, uh, <laughs> but it does. Um, and it may, it sort of reminded me of the time when I worked, I worked for Virgin Atlantic for a while and having Virgin on your sort of CV or telling people you mm. work for Virgin opened doors. So, you know, you got to speak to people who might have said no in the past. You got to, do stuff and it's similar as soon as you start saying i've got a book and people are like oh yeah and then you say with penguin they go oh yeah you know it's <laughs> so it's the next so a book is oh yeah that's interesting and then with a publisher oh that's even more interesting and you do get opportunities you know i'm not a different person than i was the day before i didn't get the book but suddenly people are now interested in what you've got to say um and that bit I guess I'm not sure I really got that completely. So I'm really enjoying the opportunities and I love learning from others, you know, what they're going through and other authors, how they're approaching things. So I think the learning is just stay open to all the opportunities that come um, and start thinking about book two before book one is even out there. Oh, well, I mean, so you were saying pro before, like that's a pro thought right there that I definitely did not do when I did my first book. Like, I was trying to cram everything I knew into book one. Yeah. And the, the first version was like 120,000 words and uh, the edited version is like 85, I think. And even that's quite big. Yeah. But yeah, like that's that's a total pro thought right there is like start thinking about book two and what's the follow up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's talk about um, one of the other things that you did, um, which was when you were made redundant, you um, started setting up another little side business and you said it was a rebellion against going to corporate interviews. Yeah. Um, and I love any kind of rebellion, <laughs> uh, both within corporates or <laughs> rebelling against them uh, and just rebelling against the status quo. So um, tell me about that. Yeah. And I think that's my, was my first moment of like, what am I doing? I've never really felt like a good corporate citizen. Um, in the days of MySpace, long, long time ago, I set up a MySpace account that co- was called the corporate robot. And I started writing about, you know, these ridiculous sort of things you find yourself doing as a corporate. Um, so I think that's always been sort of inside. And then this moment of I'm so I don't know if board's the word, but going to these interviews and getting asked, so why would you like this job? And I am good at answering that. And sometimes I genuinely mean it. And other times I definitely (laughs) don't, being very honest, you know, but I'm really good at answering it. (laughs) Mm. Um, And I found myself answering the question, but this time I did mean it because this guy, I liked the guy who was asking the question, I liked the job. It was amazing money. It was an amazing role. And I felt quite genuine in this circumstance and I answered it. But deep down inside, what I really wanted to say is, but I'm going to be honest here. I just like the title and the money. (laughs) (laughs) And so when I was driving home from that, I was like, yeah, this can't be right. Like that's not a good thing to 
deep down inside think, yeah, that's not, that's not right. Mm. So I thought, right, what can I do then? This, you're not enjoying these interview processes. You don't really want these jobs. So what can you do? And I thought, do you know what I've always wanted to do? Set up just a little business, a little shop. You know, I've always wanted a little shop. I've ever since sort of business studies, GCSE, <laughs> I wrote about owning a shop. And I thought, right, is this the moment? So I I got a market stall uh, at the time we were in Bristol. <laughs> got a little market stall and um, just thought, right, I'm going to just sell baby blankets. I had a baby at the time, so that made co- complete sense to me. Uh, I, don't ask me my thought process. I, there wasn't a lot of thought process. I just wanted to do the opposite of sitting in an op- office with a big job and I just loved it. I loved this market stall. I loved what I was selling. Um, it was actually beach towels in the end. It wasn't blankets when it when I actually sort of launched. Baby beach towels or just beach towels? Just beach towels. <laughs> yeah, it was a long story about product development, you know, my learning how to innovate. But yeah, eventually it's just beach towels. And I loved it. But, you know, reality kicks in and I was like, right, I've got to make a choice here. I've actually got to go all in and make this brand work. And I've got to start pitching to get, you know, my product in places. And I was doing a lot of research about that, following a lot of product coaches um, and, you know, people who'd done it. And I thought, oh, I'm not sure if I'm ready. And I hesitated. I didn't take that leap. And I felt like, oh, no, I don't think I'm them. They're, they look amazing people who can do this stuff. I don't know. That's me. And I hesitated and I retracted a little bit. Mm. And I got a comms contract, which was quite safe. And I thought, oh, I'm just going to retract into this space and going back into my comfort zone and earn some money. So I kept running it on the side and I still run it on the side now. It's more like a Christmas thing that I ramp up and sell these great products and stuff because I enjoy it. I really love it. And when Christmas fairs and things like that come along, I love it. Um, so do you think that is another example you were saying before, like, oh, but you're a pro. Is that the same thing? You're looking at these other people like oh, they're a pro, but I'll just do it as an amateur at Christmas kind of thing. Yeah, and I think that's, uh, I mean, you talked about it at the beginning of this about who you think you are. And I I thought I was just a corporate citizen. That was it. <laughs> mm. And just, you know, that's all I can do. So um, can, am I someone who could run a business? Oh, no, I don't think I am. Am I someone who could write a book? Oh, no, definitely not. No, I'm not that. You know, you think, you think that you're not all those things, and you think these other people have special powers and they've had special sort of, I don't know, moments and skills and experiences that have helped them to do that. And so you're telling yourself, well, that's not me. I, I couldn't do that. Mm. And that's what I mean by work. Like I just was in that space for so long. I mean, that was maybe you know, a few years ago. And you still have to keep working on that, your identity. And even now, sometimes I still think I'm more comfortable in corporate space because you can just say a job title and everyone gets what you do whereas now you have to describe oh I'm an author or I'm a I run a business that helps people who've lost their job and then that leads to the next question oh what does that mean what do you do what yeah I have have about five different versions of that depending on how interested I I am to explain it to the other person (laughs) (laughs) the the one that I always use if I just want to shut the conversation down immediately is I do management consulting. Oh, <laughs> just like yes, sort of what I do, but it's not really what I do. And I just know that if I say that, then they'll just go, "Okay, move on." That's the end <laughs> of that conversation. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. That's a good tip. I'm going to write that down. That's a very good tip. <laughs> so my question was going to be: if you think back to that moment where you could have taken that leap mm. with the product business and then you didn't, mm. and you had this, I guess it's a slight imposter syndrome thing, isn't it? Of like they're the pros and I'm not. Yeah. Do you feel like if you transported current day Eleanor back to that moment, would you make a different decision? Mm, great question. I think, um, well, I don't think you should go back and think, you know, not in a regretful state, because I think it's all great stepping stones. And I had to go through all of this to now help people where I'm at now, because now I help people in exactly that same position start a business because I've just, you know, I went through it myself. So I feel like, what I'm doing is because of all of that. I couldn't have just helped people if it had all gone well. Um, 
would I take the leap? I think I'm going to take the leap in a couple of years. Um, I still, that's why I haven't shut it down. It's still there because I feel like I am that person now who just goes for stuff. I'm not bothered now what anybody thinks. I think that was the other thing that goes on in, in your head or certainly my head. What will people think? What if I get this wrong? What if I fail? How embarrassing, like that embarrassment thing mm. again. And then when you have a little think about it, you think, well, I'm not sure who all these people are that's got this judgment. You know, is there really a crowd of people sitting about watching me <laughs> going, yeah. oh, she's done that again. <laughs> and when you realise there's not. <laughs> I can't remember who, whose quote it is, but there's a quote that says something like, um, if you um, realised how little people cared, you wouldn't care what people think. Yeah. Is it Bren Brown? She says something like that as well, doesn't Brené she, Brown, about, yeah. Yeah. you know, where people are in the crowd or are you doing something? Yeah. And um, it is that, but but it's real. And I, mm. and that's what, when I'm working with people who are wanting to start something new, they say, oh yeah, but what if someone posts something that they don't like that I've put? And I'm like, what if they do? Well done yeah. to you because yeah. it's taken me three years and I still don't get a lot of engagement <laughs> on my social media. <laughs> so, hey, if that happens, well done you. Mm. Um, but yeah, we live in this kind of space of thinking that everyone's going to care um, and it holds us back. So you've gone from, so you mentioned Virgin Atlantic before you worked for Channel 4 in comms, like quite a few other big name, big corporate entities. And then obviously now you're setting up your own thing. And I just wonder over the last couple of years, you know, running your own business, having your own um, autonomy and also probably changing your relationship with risk a little bit. Just wondering what that has meant for how you look at success, how you look at um, what's going to make you happy? Like, have, has, have, have the goalposts kind of moved for you since you sort of made that leap? It's always quite difficult to think in that way because I think whatever decision you make at the moment in time you're in is right. And you got to just be happy with that rather than, you know, kind of think, have I made wrong decisions to a degree, if that makes sense. So I think yeah. um, I've always lived in a space of risk to a degree. You know, I'm from Cumbria, um, off a farm, farming background. So I was never in, you know, surrounded by corporate people. So I took a risk at that early stage. I went to a university of Luton, which I don't even think exists anymore, but <laughs> I did. To is study. the University of Bedfordshire now? Is it maybe is, is, yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I took a leap then and took a risk because everyone was like, mm, what are you doing? Going to Luton. Right. Like, you know, it's the opposite yeah. It's the opposite world. Luton is the opposite to Cumbria. Um, <laughs> and so... Shout out to any Luton listeners, but it's, <laughs> it's always a risk going to Luton for any reason, right? 100%. <laughs> All, well, I've got loads of friends who live in Luton still. Because <laughs> I, I ended up living there for about six or seven years because I ended up... Yeah, I went to uni there, but then Whitbread are based there. So I ended up uh, working for them for 10 years. I used to do some stuff with, with Whitbread as well, like getting the train to, to Luton and walking through the weird town centre. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so that's um, that's kind of like my second home, Luton. It's just uh -huh. uh, odd to say that out loud, but it's true. <laughs> um, so to be honest, yeah, risk has always been, well, I haven't seen it as risk. I've just said, well, I want to do this, so that's what I'm going to do. And then worked really hard to get into corporate. So yeah, Whitbread was my first corporate. I sold beer in a world of, at that point in time, you weren't allowed in men's clubs if you were female. And like half of my customer list was men's clubs. Wow. <laughs> and I remember being told, yeah, you can talk to me outside. Like one guy actually let me in once and he was like, oh, I'm breaking the rules here. Uh, I think I offered, wow. I offered him a few free t-shirts and got myself in there. <laughs> but um so it's it's kind of like is it risk or is it just what you feel like you need to do and that's where I've got to I just felt like actually looking back I've had a great corporate career and I've got no complaints with that and I feel like I've been kind of successful as much as I could be and enjoyed it like who could not enjoy working for Virgin Atlantic RAC mm. I loved working for the people there amazing people um so I've been lucky and enjoyed my career but it's just that moment in time that you think I want something more and especially with now being a military family and moving all the time and I've got a five-year-old daughter 
you know, you need more, I wanted more my life to sort of fit around all this stuff and get more balance. I wasn't interested in eight to six on a, these days, Zoom call. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. And now I've got that. And I feel hugely grateful for that, that I can flex my work to meet whatever else is going on. You know, I can pick my daughter up from school. I can um, flex to if you know she needs me or whatever's going on in our family. Because and you mean flex in the time flex, yeah. flexi time corporate definition, right? Like, because flex now is like showing off, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's very true. Yeah, I do mean it in the court. See, I've slipped, <laughs> slipped back into corporate language. <laughs> I love the idea that you're sat there with your daughter going, look at how much money I've got. <laughs> You've only got a pound a week pocket money. <laughs> oh, no, I'm t- that is me. No, you're accurate. I do do that to her a lot. Look how much Lego I've got. You, yeah. I own this I, Lego. <laughs> I can buy all the Lego. Um, so you mentioned um, military family life there. So moving every couple of years. So that's moving to, to sort of different army bases, is it? And like just sort of moving house to go with, you know, sort of different missions that presumably your partner's on. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They, the, uh, they move them every two years in the army. I think it's different in Navy and, uh, RAF, but yeah, in the army it's two years. So yeah, yeah. you get a new opportunity, shall we say every two years, a new, uh, a new opportunity is given to you to, uh, discover a new community. Um, yeah. New neighbours, new, yeah, all, everything new. At the moment, my husband's actually deployed abroad. So um, we're back up in Cumbria, in uh, hometown for now, me and my daughter. Okay. Well, he is abroad for two years. So, yeah, you wow. you have to shift with it and make it work. So, yeah, uh, it's another layer to the yeah. decision-making process. And. Tell me more about that from a, a sort of dealing with change perspective then. So obviously now you're in a long distance relationship for a couple of years and then, you know, next you might be, you know, moving to a whole different town or city or part of the country that you've never been to before and all that sort of thing. So I like to me, the thought of that sort of exhausts me. <laughs> Do, does it get easier? And um, what are some of your, do you have some, some, sort of strategies that you've seen yourself develop that help you to deal with that sort of constant sense of change? Yeah, I think um, definitely learning to let go of things and move into the space and move forward. You you can hold on to a lot of things, not just physical stuff, Um, although that helps as well. You know, if you've got... (laughs) you've got less stuff it's easier to move but i'm sure that helps but when you say let go of things what do you mean but i think it's the mental side so um for example the last post that we were in was just the most amazing place and we were in lockdown in it as well Mm. so it's an army base next to the seaside we had a beach two minutes behind our house in an army base so you're safe and you know that is just heaven you know like we it was just the most amazing place to be yeah and then we had to move and you can dwell on that quite a bit you know you you can spend time thinking every now and again it kind of creeps into my mind thinking oh I could Mm. be at the beach right now but you have to manage that and just let go and move into okay well what are the opportunities that I'm in right now what's the point of missing things and spending time thinking about that it's in the past so I've really worked on where am I at now and how do I make it work forward thinking? Um, I don't spend a lot of time missing stuff. People always ask me that. Do you miss this? Do you miss that? No, I don't miss anything. It's just a waste of time. Just get on with it. (laughs) Nice. I like that. Regrets are a waste of time, right? Completely. And, Mm. or just, you know, when people talk about missing things, what's the point of that? Either if you miss something (laughs) like, go and put it right then, go back there then, if it's a, such a problem, or just, you know, you keep moving forward, try and make something where you are right now, like your present, make your present situation work. And is that the practical application of that? So if you find yourself wistfully dreaming of that beach or that place that you used to be, is it like, do you try and just put your mind onto, okay, what's coming in the future or what's present right now, rather than kind of dwelling on the past? Exactly. 
And so that little thought creeps in and I think, okay, but where am I at right now? What, what could I be doing right now? And even sometimes it's just, well, why don't you just go and have a cup of tea and sit down and get some fresh air? That maybe is all you need right now. And you're thinking about, oh, the beach, oh, this lovely walk that I used to have. Maybe you're thinking that because you just need a little break. Yeah. So just go and have a little break. You know, it's the same thing. So, yeah, it, it's not easy, but it it's how you sort of get through um but without it being too sort of superficial as well, I think it, you know, you do have to appreciate where you're at um, without, without kind of taking things for granted, I guess. Um, let's talk in the last few minutes about productivity. Yeah. Um, which is obviously one of our key themes. So what are your sort of rules of the road? Like how do you, if you, if you're really on form, and you really feel like you're having productive days and all's going well, what are some of the habits that you've got in place? What's what's helping you to achieve that? Yeah, um, well, I talk about this quite a bit um, because I feel like people get busy when they get made redundant. So, you know, this whole concept of get busy. Mm. But one of the things we try and think about, which I apply, is being intentional rather than being busy. And you obviously talk about it in your book, which I have read. Um, and being more focused on, yeah, but what is this busyness trying to get me? So each day I've got three things and I'm quite disciplined at this now, three things that I have to nail by the end of the day, because I'm terrible for having an idea, getting distracted, generating 120 post-it notes when I should be just paying a bill. (laughs) Um, so now I get really focused on these are the three things today. When you've done them, you can then have a play with some other stuff. But these are the three things. And they're the three things that I feel are going to move me closer to my goal. So it's being a bit more intentional about what I'm doing, not just doing stuff because it makes me feel busy. I often say to people, if you start adding priorities to your list of priorities, then you have no priorities. <laughs> That's the fun bit though, isn't it? We can't help it. <laughs> yeah. Um, what are your, um, do you have any particular apps that you like to use or any particular, uh, just other techniques that really help you? Oh, uh, no, I'm a good old post-it note person. I'm afraid. Post-it pen and paper. I, yeah, I love it. I've got, and I've got my book, which is about like three things and I'm pretty good at that. I tried all sorts of stuff and I found myself getting distracted just by that. So I thought, stick to what you like. And I do, I'm quite creative in terms of I like drawing and writing. So my post-it notes are my toolkit. What do you do if you're working from a cafe for a day and all your post-it notes are at home? Oh no, they come with me. They come with you. (laughs) Honestly, disaster. Yeah. People who see me working, I used to have a co-working space in Portsmouth um, when we were there and when I was writing a book and it just was covered in post-it notes. <laughs> People would be like, what mm. are you doing? <laughs> so don't worry. It's part of me, my focus. <laughs> well, at least you went in a coffee shop and yeah. you know, sort of taking it over and sticking stuff over the walls or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Good conversation though. If someone was doing <laughs> that, I would definitely go up to them and say, what are you doing? This looks great. Can I get involved? It's true. It might be quite a good way to sort of get attention for yeah. your business or whatever. If you just took over Starbucks <laughs> with a load of post-its. Yeah. Might be yeah. Fun. Um, so before we finish as well, um, so the book goes through these five steps that you go through when you get made redundant. So uh, I thought it might be quite nice to just finish with uh, just some practical thoughts for people around uh, what those five stages are and then also practical things that people can do. So if you are in the midst of, redundancy right now if you feel like it's on the cards or you're just coming through it like uh, maybe just give people a couple of those little um sort of practical takeaways that can really help with those five steps yeah so um it's a little bit of a story so i guess it's uh the first step shock embrace the shock don't dismiss it don't feel like you have to put positive pants on you're allowed to wallow you're allowed to feel emotions um and then when you've got to that stage of being bored of yourself wallowing (laughs) you move to the next step and you do you get like right come on I've got to do something about this um 
and you get into the next step, which is the feeling of stuck. So you're kind of thinking, yeah, okay, doors closed. I've kind of got over that now. Now I'm ready to move on, but now what? So this second step of stuck is about feeling like it's a sign of possibility. So if you're in that space of what next, you can open up and think, okay, right. So who am I? I can explore my talents. I can think about my strengths. I can think about what I've always wanted to do and opening up and getting curious about stuff, asking questions. Don't close doors. Don't kind of um, shut yourself down. Open up as much as you can. Get involved in stuff way out of your comfort zone. So stuck is almost like a period of time of exploration and it's being brave in that space like sending someone a message and saying hey you know just lost my job actually but don't suppose you got any time for a chat now the chances are they might ignore you they might say no but it doesn't matter just be in that space of putting stuff out there without any expectation of what might come back I feel like a lot of people would really struggle with permission on both of those right so giving yourself the permission to be shocked yeah and then giving yourself the permission to be stuck and exploring and, you know, putting out crazy ideas and asking crazy people for LinkedIn, you know, <laughs> uh, advice, you know, whatever, you know, like yeah. I think sometimes we bias our brains towards what feels like credible and whatever. But, you know, I think it's really important, isn't it, to, to take the to give yourself permission to be shocked and then to be stuck and exploring completely and that's those were the sort of the two steps that i felt were missing in all this kind of redundancy support that was out there it was just pushing me into this place of solve the problem done whereas i didn't kind of that wasn't useful to me i i needed that exploration space because that's where i was at and i think people do resonate with those steps once they read the blogs or that you know read the book even they're going to connect with oh yeah that's where I'm at right now I actually thought I was in a solving space but you're actually in this exploration space because it's where the magic happens you know the book is about making it the best thing that happens to you not just a thing that happens to you so if you want to make it the best thing and you've got to choose that you've got to choose to say right this I'm going to own this I'm going to make it the best thing you have to accept that those two steps the shock and the stuck are uh, really important parts of that because if you just dive straight into solve the problem, get a job, then good for you. That's brilliant. And I'm, and if you're happy, that's really cool. You know, this book isn't for everybody. Um, but if you want to make it the best thing, you've got to embrace those two steps. Definitely. But you're right. It's uncomfortable. It's an uncomfortable space, but just live with the uncomfortableness of it. <laughs> um, and then the third step I kind of think helps people with that because it's slow, slow go. And I created that when I was writing and I realized I had my mil- back to my million post-it notes of ideas and possibilities and what could I do and who am I meeting and all of this stuff. It started to get very overwhelming when I did get brave and started thinking about things. And then I thought, oh, my goodness, I'm just going to shut this all down into a box and go safe again and apply for that safe job again. But slowing down and thinking, well, why do I want to do it? Why is this important? What are the things that are really resonating with me? And getting clarity on one or two things that might make a huge difference to the future really helped. So that slowing down is about clarity. The next slowing down is about how to make a decision on what you're going to do. And then go is, right, I'm ready. I'm going to take that leap. So that step is about just allowing yourself that time to check in and say, right, where am I at right now? Um, I'm making a decision. And in that book chapter, we talk about the decision. And I say we, cause it's kind of another door <laughs> who I run with a coach, another coach now. Um, so we talk about it as in, you've got a decision to make now. You can stick, twist or bust. So that go is you can stick with your expertise, but perhaps upgrade, you know, push yourself to get the better organization, the, the one that you've always wanted to work for or get the promotion or get a pay rise. Twist is stick to your core strengths and your skills and your background, but deliver it in a different way. Perhaps go freelance or teach it, or, you know, you could rethink about 
what they what they are in a different way or like switch sectors into charities yes exactly yeah Yeah, exactly yeah help small businesses with your skill set um and then bust is bust it out throw it all up in the air go for that zone of way out of comfort zone and do something you've always wanted to do um and when you think about it in those in those ways they all come with different approaches. You know, you need to work on yourself in a different way to get what you want. So that brings you into the fourth step of unstuck where you're working on an intentional plan of how am I going to do this? If you've decided I'm going to stick, how are you going to do it? If you decided to twist, what's the help that you need? If you decided to bust, what is the resources? What are the new skills that you might need to do it? So unstuck is very intentional planning and building people around you that's going to help you through it. Because I think a lot of success is around the people you have around you. And it's not always friends and family. In fact, sometimes they're the people who hold you in a place (laughs) rather than push you into your new space. So unstuck is is that kind of awareness of who is going to help me achieve this goal and how do I plan and be intentional on planning how this is going to work. And then the fifth step is thrive where you feel really clear what you want to do, but thrive also addresses the fear. So the fears that are holding you back, the fact that you're going to fail sometimes, and that's fine. The fact that um, you're going to get rejections and how to deal with it. So (laughs) in some parts of the thrive process, it's actually not quite as thriving and you know exciting as it what it might seem, but it's, it's not all a positive news story. It's right? yeah. the reality of it, and as soon as you know that that's the reality of it, you're probably going to be okay with that. I mean, I love that as a you know anyone that's listened to this and is you know just experiencing the shock or the stuck right now. I really hope that is as inspiring as um, as it certainly feels to me. Just going through those five steps, so. Um, love it. Um, thank you so much for being on Beyond Busy. Um, it really feels like you have come through those experiences that you've had and are really thriving. And it's a, just a really inspiring story. So, um, so thanks for being on the podcast. Um, do you want to just connect people into how can they find another door and the book and um, how can they connect with you? Yeah. So, uh, well, I'm on LinkedIn as Eleanor Tweddle and another door UK is on all social media platforms. Um, so yeah, drop, drop me a note. I love to hear from people. So if anybody's got, um, anything that they've thought while listening to this, please drop me a message. And, um, I love hearing what people's thoughts are. So thank you very much for having me on. Cool. And and the book is Why Losing Your Job Could Be the Best Thing That Ever Happened to You. Exactly, yeah. You didn't, you didn't say that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, so go and buy that. Thanks, Ola, for being on Beyond Busy. Thanks very much, Graham. So thanks again to Eleanor for being on the show. Thanks also to Matt Crossy at Penguin Business for helping me to set that one up. And um, we are putting out... Uh, a lot of stuff at the moment, I'm really kind of uh, continuing my revamping of social media and stuff this year. So if you're not following me on Instagram, we're putting out some really, uh, I think, really nice content on Instagram at the moment. Um, lots of really good quotes and stuff. Shout out to Riz and Emily who've been uh, leading the the team on that uh, from our side. And of course, um, I have my Rev Up for the Week mailing list. So if you want more stuff from me, basically every Sunday night, I drop into your inbox a positive or productive thought for the week ahead. Um, so if you want to sign up for that, just go to grahamalcott.com and then you'll see the little um, uh, sort of form on on every page of that site, basically. Uh, that will sign you up to my Rev Up for the Week uh, email list. We started from scratch back in, I think it was March or April we started doing it. And we're, I think, just over 700 people at this point. So it's it's really growing. And what's really nice is I'm getting some really nice replies and and sort of contributions from the community as well so it's kind of developing its own little life as uh, a sort of uh, nice little boutique email list so if you want to get involved in that um it's been a real pleasure for me to do actually because it just means that i'm i just have a deadline to write something uh something meaningful and complete every single week and that's definitely making me a better writer uh, and actually a friend of mine who's been on it for a while is like, your writing's just really improving. So I think I'm kind of uh, dusting the rust off 
just at the right time because I'm about to, actually about to start uh, writing a book. More of which next week about that new book. Uh, thanks as always to Mark Stedman, my producer on the show. And thanks to Think Productive, our sponsors for the show. So if you're interested in productivity, training, coaching, workshops for your team, then go to thinkproductive.com. And if you're in the UK, it's just thinkproductive.co.uk. So we'll be back in a week's time with another episode, really special one next week, where we are talking about kindness with my guest, Christina Kisley, who's a really good friend of mine and um, uh, just, uh, just a wonderful human. So I think you're going to really enjoy next week's episode. So until then, take care and bye for now.